Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Yo, son! One F is life. It's not the one you should be underestimating. It is. Godzilla, King Kong, Loch Ness. We rap nerd now here, right? Like, I can tell you were a nerd. It's primal. And that's raw Carhartt girl. Speaking of sneaky big tits, are you out there fucking? I'm doing that. <laughs> years ago, I bought a millionaire Griffin. This was years ago, bro. Years ago. Years ago. Years ago. Cypher Sounds. Peter Rosenberg. One F is life. Hey, good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. Billy. Good night. Good night. Okay. Hold on. Billy. First of all. Billy, what are you doing? First of all, Saif, before we get to our esteemed guest, mm-hmm. we have to talk about what just happened. What happened? You pulled a Rosenberg, right? And you were late, which no. is very uncommon. No, no, no. I didn't, I didn't. I said I would be late from the get-go, and I told you when I was rolling. That's not a Rosenberg. It seems... Ro- I tell everyone I'm going to be late permanently. So no, no, no. There's not but there's really no with umbrella that, lateness. But let's not focus on that. That's the least <laughs> important part of what I'm saying. Okay. Why would you ever leave me alone with Billy for that long? <laughs> like, do you know how many things I heard? Of? He, he fills every second yeah. of air yeah. with fucking words. <laughs> I didn't mean to leave him alone. I brought some of my slaves, but they didn't get upstairs in time, I guess. <laughs> the, the term is enslaved. That's the, that's what these people are. Right. These indentured servants. Yeah. I think indentured servants is the proper. Have you guys Why got is that a table inside? Um, it be, for the for your indentured servants. Oh, oh. So they have like I a place to maybe sit. It was the snow. I mean, no, that too. But it's just so people have a place to sit. Whatever. Nice. Anyways, nice. Uh, how you doing, Saif? <laughs> are you dying? We don't have. We don't have time. It's it's. It, I've it's, never seen you like this, no, and this you've is wild. But bro. by the way, I I just want everyone listening to understand. If Cypher is telling you that, like, it's out of control how yeah. difficult it is, I've been with him through times where he was living a life where he wasn't saying that. Right. And to me, is wild, if right? I was his schedule, I would have just off myself. Yeah. Like, when we were doing the morning show, Cypher would show up straight from a club. Club. Morning show. And then sometimes he'd have other stuff right after. A&R gig. He'd have Fuck another gig yeah. right after. And I'd be like, 
What do you? And you're saying this is worse, Bro, right? This is the wildest of my life ever. Plus the kids. So you have the, you're, now you have adult life on top Plus of it. Oh, you know what? I never even fact. I got a factor that. Yeah, the family's a a problem too. <laughs> um, Bro, I did. I did. Rob, one second. I did. You know, some, this is between us, WANAP fans. Just right? the WANAPers. Sometimes yeah. I'm not live on the radio. Okay. Sometimes I'm not live. Sometimes it's I got a hybrid thing going on. By the way, don't worry. The WANAPers aren't offended. Nothing they hear from us is live. Okay. Well, they, I, sometimes I'm not live. Right. But I make it sound like I'm live. Of course. But I got to so record do. that. So sometimes I'm recording for tomorrow while I'm doing live today. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I'm like, That's right. did I just read this promo for... Today or tomorrow? tomorrow? Is this Usher tickets for today or for tomorrow? Oh, wait. I already gave out the tickets. I just, you can't give them out again. Yo, it's wild. Luckily, I don't have give outs. Luckily, they're like, go register to win. Luckily, oh, it's I don't not have giveaways. To, like, take a phone call or nothing. And by the way, while we're here, I'll be honest. Someone would say I pre record my Sunday show every single week. Really? For, not for the most part. Yeah. Basically, when, I got, when we got the morning show, I basically at that point started pre recording real late. Yeah, you're not going to go up. I'm not going to be up till 2 a.m. With the morning show the next day. I'm up to 2 a.m. all the time. But your show at least starts at 10. Yeah, but... Anyways, we wasted, yeah, but enough, we wasted enough time on your boring... Yeah, my boring life. Your boring, sad well, life. Well, th this is the last one I'm doing. That's what I meant to tell oh, you. Oh, right. Yeah. I, yeah, and by the way, we, I do want to say I appreciate that since it started, you've still managed to make time every week. Yeah. You haven't even complained about it. This well, is the last one, though. Uh, well, that's how it starts, right? He's late the first time, <laughs> then never shows up again. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen... Of the Executioners and right. Jackson Heights, Queens. I say X-Men. You say X-Men? I mean, both. Don't leave out X-Men. Q-U, Queens, let's go. Rob Swift is in the motherfucking yeah, building. Man. Queens. On, man. Showed up with the Mets hat. Word. You know, Mets, hopefully we do something this season, man. Last season was a No, you're going to do something this man. season. You're going to do something. I hope so. I, I got a bet with one of my friends, uh, Verlander's... ERA is going to be lower than 3.0. Okay. So I'm, ho I'm hoping. We should be good on that. Right? And we'll get past, not the wild card, the first round of the playoffs. So we'll see. I, I, that's your bet? That's the bet. Uh, you better. They, by the way, with the money they spent, they better do that. Safe. you know what we're talking about. You, what do yeah. you think? You think the Mets are going to be good I this love, year? I um, love that the Mets are down in um, in uh, Port St. Lucie right now for spring training. Yeah. 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 I'm thinking yeah. about coming getting down there yeah they're down there in florida see a few games over a weekend i heard something. that on wfan <laughs> my <laughs> sorry sorry wow well, that... sorry it's my it's next door what do you want me to do piece of shit have you seen them yet no nah, i'm just kidding i didn't see Yo, if, if you see carton you're gonna say something to him i don't like, even know hey, who yo, that my is. man he's I bald he's I a bald even, prick i wouldn't even know who that is I know. he got beef with who don't i have you know what you can't get involved in all my beefs you have problems forever yeah. um so rob walks in Wearing his Mets hat. Yes, sir. I said, where are you coming from? He said, Jackson Heights, Queens. Mm. I said, that's crazy because I was looking on your Wikipedia earlier and it said you're born and, born and raised Jackson Heights, Queens. You've been there your, generally your whole life? My whole life, man. I know I don't look it, but I was born in 72 and my parents immigrated there from Columbia and Jackson Heights, if anyone is familiar, has a very big Colombian population. Yeah. And so I stayed there, man. Like, I love the food. I love the people. And that's home, you know? I did. I was telling you, right, Peter? I lived in Bristol, Connecticut, coincidentally, yeah. for a year in 2012. And that was 
really the only time I've lived outside of Jackson Heights. Did you ever get wings at um, the wing spot up there? Tea something? Nah, so here's the thing. Jackson Heights is really about the Colombian food. No, no, no. I mean in Bristol. Oh, where there's Bristol. Nothing, there's this Bristol. one wing right. spot that's nah. like the only thing worth a shit. Yo, it's funny, man, because I would be yo, I would be in Bristol like, like just going to the gym at ESPN and then like going to the cafeteria, getting food, and then just taking that shit back home and chilling at the crib. That was like my life for a year in Bristol. It's just it's a different world out there, man. No, Cyphus, so, Cyphus. Straight suburb life, right? Yeah, it's, 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 it, there's, it, there's ESPN and, and nothing else, it. really. And that's it. Yeah, I did a show there once. In Bristol? Yeah. The Ha Hole? <laughs> or the Laugh Farm? <laughs> it's not Wings Over Bristol. Damn it, Billy June. It's, uh, look, it's, it has like a, it's a name of some sort. Like a T. It's fucking great, I will say that. So, what, do you, think, what do you think the first thing I said to... Rob, when we when we were small talking, and I knew that he was Colombian from Jackson Heights. What do you think is the first thing I said to him? Uh, something about some titties. <laughs> right after, like in that's the a, that's the old that's the old us. That's, that's the, the old us. us. We wouldn't have said that now. Uh, something about DJ Camillo. <laughs> <laughs> I said, I said, so Rob, you know Camillo for a long time, huh? He was like, oh yeah. So how, you guys known each other forever? Yeah, man. Camillo and I go way back. We work out together at Retro Fitness in Astoria. And by the way, y'all are, Camillo looks great, but y'all are doing different workouts because you're a jacked up. <laughs> yeah, nah, big up to his trainer, Johnny. Um, but yeah, man, I'm, I'm crazy about the gym. It's funny because Cypher knows I used to be like bone thin. Oh, yeah, super thin. Oh, I was watching yeah. DMC 91. Yeah, you didn't look yeah. the way you look now. 169 wet. And it's a funny ass story, man. I started dating this chick like around. 2006 that was like mad fit like body like yeah crazy abs all that and i was just skinny kid um and we started dating she would try to get me to go to the gym with her and i was not interested until a few months later after we started dating she invited me to go to the beach with her and i was like yo man i can't be Fucking laying next to this chick at the beach. All friends are gonna be there. They probably work out too. So in my head, I was like, yo, I'm gonna get out a, I'm gonna take out a gym membership. And I had like two weeks. So in my head, I was like, yo, man, I got 14 days to get brolic. Mm. 14 days, two weeks, 169. <laughs> mm. It was it was the funniest shit. But what ended up happening was I never went to the beach because she and I broke up. But I fell in love with working out, and yeah, <laughs> Sife, you still still doesn't have it. I wish I wish I I want to find that love. You want to, for, the, for the gym? Yo, your dude. your problem is you didn't want to go to the beach because you'd be too skinny. No, I never had I that. Dream problem. of that problem. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I dream of that. Yeah, problem. By the way, it's such it's so true. It's such a better problem than the alternative. Oh, it's not even a problem. Yeah, yeah. Get yeah the like fuck oh. out of here, yo. But it's you got to work out, dude. You got to take care of your body as you age, man. Because. True. It's like nowadays there's no need to move around. Like everything is like yeah. comes to you. You can sit on a couch and be good the whole day. And that's not necessarily the best thing nah, for your body. You gotta so, teach me. I will tell you this. I'm gonna tell you this right now. I know I don't yeah. look like it. I look like a slovenly pig. But I'm probably in the best general workout rhythm I've ever been in. Sight for me, and this is just in terms of getting cardio. I need to get back into lifting, but it's in terms of feeling good. 
that Peloton for me is an absolute game changer. Yeah, really. That's yep. mad cardio, right? Like, it's, well, and it's just the fact that it's so easy, bro. It's like my schedule, just like you, my schedule is so insane that the idea of being like, oh, I'm going to go to the gym right now and blah, 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 but I want to do a half hour and sweat and feel like I'm at least doing something. Doing something with your life. And you just get on the... I get on the um, Peloton. These days, I haven't even been using an instructor. I used to use a, a, an instructor. These days, I just get on and do timed rides and push myself so I can listen to my own music. Mm. I don't want to hear... You know how I've complained to you about their DJ. Yeah, I can't... Yo, I can't listen to non-DJs right. DJ. Like They're like, oh, it's a 90s R&B ride. Yeah, so I'm like, all right, cool. We're going to do up-tempo. And then they hit a random like Joe's ballad. I'm like, I can't work out to this. <laughs> so today, I was watching you know, DMC 91. Listening to the Executioner's album, you know, trying to get myself in the zone. You like it, though. I think you would like the Peloton. I have one. You do? (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever used it? Yeah, in the beginning. Didn't feel it? Just didn't connect? I liked it, but it's just time. Time is an issue. For sure. When when you're trying to get to the gym and you know you got other responsibilities. But that's why you never want to short sell even doing 20 minutes. Just being like, yo, I'm doing 20 before I get in the shower. 20. Yeah. Yo, you do 25 days a week. You just did a couple hours of exercise that week. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just, it can, you can, anyways, this is, we're off the beaten path. Um, we don't have a path. I know. We've never had a path. We have no path. But I do want. Um, it's Rob Swift, man. So it's Rob Swift. Uh, and Rob, what is the age at which you first touched a turntable? Sure. <sighs> I had to be about eight, nine years old. My dad immigrated here from Colombia. Spanish in the house? Spanish in the house with my parents. My brother and I would always speak English, but... How is your Spanish now? My Spanish is pretty good. Try it with Saif. See how, see how, <laughs> he, he can tell you if it's good or not. So, Saif, ¿qué tal, man? No, I don't speak Spanish. <laughs> no, hablas español. ¿Qué tal is this chick I know from Spain always says that to me. I'm assuming, <laughs> I'm assuming the way she says it, it's what's it means up. what's up. There you go. ¿Qué eres puertorriqueño? Sí. Wow. See, no, you don't no, see. No. That's that's pretty good. No, mi padre es puertorriqueño. Yo soy Nueva York. Americano el, gringo. El muerte. <laughs> nice. Mi, mi Nueva mi York practice. el muerte. In the death. <laughs> to, how you say to the death? Ah, it was going to be ah, right? A death. A muerte. <laughs> Nueva York. Yo, it's, dude, I... Get it, Saif. Like, when you get here and you're born here, you know, if you're an immigrant, it's hard to pick up the language because you're used to speaking English, right? Or in my case, or my parents' case, Spanish. So they still have those heavy accents. But I was born here, so all my friends spoke English. So in the house with my parents, I would speak Spanish outside or with my brother. It was always English. So it was actually kind of difficult keeping the spanish you know and um yeah once you especially once you leave the house like right you know, but by the way this English is my favorite friends it, it this is the quintessential queen's experience you know my uh, my my lady hebrew at home parents thick accents right she would go out speaks english with everyone so to her parents her hebrew is ass yeah even though i hear it and i'm like oh my god i went to hebrew school forever i can't say a word but you know what I mean? Like that that is the quintessential children of immigrants yeah. New York experience, experience. right? Yeah. And totally. y'all are all running around to get Where do you go to high school? I went to Newtown High School in in Elmhurst near the Queens Mall and it's funny you mentioned school. The smart thing that my parents did 
was they would put me in bilingual classes, although I didn't need it because I spoke perfect English. They would put me with other Spanish to learn the Spanish to learn the Spanish, That's right? Re- so like that, reverse ESOL. Exactly. Oh, that was smart. It was. It was because it kept me practicing it and speaking it. And I would say I'm like 85% with it. You know, when I go to you Columbia. You speak Spanish. Though. I speak Spanish. But when I go to Columbia, bro, my head be like. Well, no. And they, like, think, and they call you a gringo. Right. Exactly. Because you know, I'm like trying to keep up, up with them, you know. That's just the, the shittiest part is like if you're in a situation like Rob or Natalie, you, the language is a big part of your life. You speak it. But you're never all the way there. So when you visit, right. you're always getting told, yo, why don't you speak yeah. the language? You're like, yeah. I do fucking yeah. speak the yeah. language. Yeah. <laughs> don't you? We're saying it in your language. Yeah. It's about being calm, easy, and not getting nervous. When you know you're going to be confronted with a Spanish-speaking person, just just be loose. And then the words just start to flow. Sife. Sife, you can try it. It'll just come right out. <laughs> Bro, let me oh. tell you how many times I try to learn. COVID? You tried I again? literally had a Spanish... Uh, what do you know, like an online Spanish tutor? This shit won't stick. But by the way, but it you, won't stick. You, you know, gotta practice. Your bro. accent's not terrible. The words, the words I know how to say, I say well. Yeah, you you actually don't. The tell words that. I know how to say, I say them correctly. But it's only like, I don't know, forty words. There you go. It's a, it's a base, <laughs> and it's, it's a base. the same words that you use over yeah, and like, over again, right? So yeah, a, a, yo, fucking discoteca. That's a big one. That's a business. Discos. <laughs> um, so you said so you're born in 72 yes sir in Queens Elmhurst Hospital in Elmhurst Hospital so then tell us this we always hear stories of like what was happening in the early 80s you know with regards to hip hop in the Bronx etc could you feel it as like a 10 year old 11 year old in Queens it was no everywhere doubt. no doubt Peter I was breaking in the third grade like I remember we would have parties in our class and I'd be the only one spinning on their back. You know? Were there ever any people who were trying to, you know, prevent you from breaking, if you will? Not at all. The cool thing about the area that... Oh, uh, he's asking if the if there was someone that was had to say, let the pop is pop. Uh, and <laughs> the break is break. break. Yeah. Nah, nah, like, nah, not at all, man. Like, the cool thing about <laughs> the area that I grew up in in Queens is I grew up on 89th Street. Roosevelt Avenue. Is that near 89th Avenue or 89th Road? What about no, 89th that's, Drive? Nah, that's, that's, you're talking like Hillside and all okay, those, sorry, those sorry. crazy ass Queens addresses. <laughs> but I lived like three train stops from USA roller skating rink. Okay. Mm. And that was like our 1520 Cedric Avenue because a lot of hip hop shows took place there. And they actually filmed a scene from Star Wars there. Mm. The scene where Rocksteady battles Dynamic Breakers mm-hmm. was filmed there and that's right in my neighborhood. So You remember do you remember any like shows that were advertised there? Oh like, yeah. So who would play there? Uh Just Dice, Run DMC, Fearless Four, New Edition, like any any group that was popping in the eighties performed there. Wow. And so Did you go and did you go to shows too? Totally. Not just roller Well, the thing is, go. is it was an all ages venue. Oh, so wow. you could go at four or five o'clock roller skate with your friends. And then here and comes then Run stay, DMC performing. Right. Here we go. And then stay and watch Run DMC. That's crazy. With Jam all Master ages? J. Yeah. Yep. It was all ages. All ages for a late rap show. That's Word. by the way. By the way, do you hear the built in respect as a DJ? What he just said? Jam Master you J. see Run DMC with Jam Master J. Yeah. No doubt. Always. And then like was like. All right. So go ahead. I'm sorry. So you. you just, 
you touched the turntable around eight, nine. Yep. Just your dad's turntables. It was my dad's turntables. Belt drive joint. He had records. Well, no. Actually, he had really good equipment for the time. My dad worked in a factory and to make extra money because, yo, bro, we lived in a one-bedroom apartment in a tenement building, and we had, like, roaches and mice for roommates. Like, no joke. Like, my brother and I would sleep in the living room on cots. So my dad was like, I got to make extra money. So he picked up DJing, saved his money up, bought really good equipment, actually. He had one- (laughs) Not food. Yeah. (laughs) Not rent. No extermination. (laughs) He bought the equipment and that paid for the food food and the rent. It ended up working out. It ended up working out because here I am- with y'all, you know, he DJed a lot. Like he DJed a lot. He he, as far as equipment is concerned, he had a thirteen hundred technique. Oh shit! And a sixteen hundred technique. And Both direct drive. Those were direct drive wow. turntables, and it was dope because the pitch was like this knob that you would twist. Yeah, I had one of those. Your words. Yeah. So and he had this like huge ass GLI mixer, but opposed to having crossfaders he had a knob yeah yeah. so when when i'd scratch i'd be like with the knob moving it up and down and stuff and um but yeah my my dad had really good equipment ironically didn't want us to touch it us mean meaning my brother and i so when my dad would go off to work and we had like days off from school your brother's older younger my brother's like seven years older than me okay so and he was like crazy like wild like into like just crazy shit and so he would like my dad would like hide his needles my brother would find them take them out hook them up turn the equipment on call his friends because his friends from corona queens the next town over had access to their parents record collections that were very different from ours yeah what was yours like spanish salsa merengue cumbia Whereas my brother's friends were rocking James Brown, Aretha Franklin, right, right. Um, Pointer Sisters. So they would bring their records over to our house because my dad had, had all the equipment. And then I'd just sit there and watch like my brother cut it up, his friends rhyme, and I just caught the bug. And like at, it's funny because I went to junior high school with Psycho Less from the beat nuts. I, but I, if, if we had played a game called Guess Who I Went to Middle School With, <laughs> yeah. Less would have been my third guess. Maybe maybe second. Less, you know Less is from Jackson Heights too. Yeah. So he and I went to the same junior high school. We were in the same sixth grade homeroom. And That's one crazy. day I told Was he a psycho back then? Nah, back then he was just Lester. Yeah. And I was right just there. Robert. Yo, here, here's, here's Psycho Less. Yo, whatever. Whatever, man. Yo, whatever. <laughs> Word. That's Lester, less. what's Yo, the... What's what's the less? I was in a store. I told you this. The square root of 16, Lester. It's <laughs> whatever. whatever. <laughs> I was in a store once, and this guy, I could tell he got a little excited when he saw me, but he wasn't saying anything. Because he was attractive, because you're so attractive. <laughs> and then I was paying for this, this these clothes I was buying. He goes, I think you know my dad. Uh-huh. I'm like, who's your dad? Nah. He goes... Uh, psycho less. Oh, I was crazy. like, what? That's crazy, bro. I was there for like wow. twenty minutes talking to him. Yeah. He's like, I was like, what's your name? He's like, Lester. Come on, <laughs> I swear to God, yo. Yeah. So you guys were in the same classes, Rob and Lester, Robert and Lester, Robert and Lester, and we would, or I would bring my rec- my brother's records to the school, and we would just sit there in homeroom and. Like well, look at bring the, records without we, we would bring trying to records play them just, just to, like, to look at the in covers. your back you put them in your backpack and just put them in my backpack or carry them and we would just That's look crazy. at the credits and 
talk about who did the scratches and who engineered the song and who rapped on it, where was it recorded, the address of the record label. Like, we would geek out wow. about everything about the records that I had. That's crazy. And um, I never thought to tell him, though, that my brother DJed. So one day I just mentioned it to him, and he was like, bro, your brother DJs all this time? You haven't said anything? He was like, yo, Wait, let's go what? to you your house sixth today. Grade? Sixth grade. Wait, like 12 years old? 12 years old. I'll be your brother's wow. 19. Right. And he was like, yo, Les was like, yo, let's go to your house after school now and, and ask him to teach us. And I was like, all right. Like, I never thought to ask my brother to teach me because I was just, I was a breaker, one. Two, I was just kind of, it never just occurred to me to ask him to teach me. I don't know why. It's, to be it's honest family with you. dynamic. You know it's always I mean? different. Yeah. But, but, but that's a great one, yeah. F Gem. We just got, I'm sure you've said it before, but for our audience, the fact that essentially in many ways the, the reason you first decided to start touching the turntables is because Psycho Less was like, we should go do that. That's a pretty cool tidbit. It is. That I, I wouldn't have necessarily yeah, guessed. Yeah. What did your brother go on to do? So my brother DJed, but again, my brother was wild, man. He was just into like crime, to be completely honest <laughs> with okay. you. Um, Here's a blanket <laughs> statement of what my cousin, my brother did. Crime. Crime. Straight up, bro. <laughs> he did a little this, a little that, yeah, yeah. all under the umbrella of crime. Cool. Yeah, okay. yeah. He, but this he is was what? Wild. This is... Uh, Early 80s. Yeah, so yeah, this is this is crime, New York yeah, City. Yeah, right, exactly. Did he get gang, in trouble? Gang, infested, all like that. Spanish gang? Like uh, My brother Columbia? ran with... with Dudes from Corona, and Corona at the time was predominantly black. Mm. So he would go to Corona Queens and run around and like snatch purses and wow. get in trouble. And I, I remember love when people do crime in their own neighborhood. It's so stupid. Yeah, yeah it is. It is. <laughs> By it the is. way, but that was that was just you know teenagers, New York City. Yeah, they were unsupervised. Um, you know, we're talking towards the end of redlining in new york city and legal segregation and the end of the era of the bronx is burning yeah all of that was affecting other areas other boroughs and jackson heights was one of those boroughs corona too where the kids were just unsupervised doing whatever you know what i'm saying did your brother end up getting in trouble my brother ended up getting in trouble many times and I remember there would be nights. It'd be one in the morning, two in the morning. My mom's crying her eyes out, not knowing where my brother is and seeing that. And I think that had, I know that had a lot to do with why I turned out the way I did, you know, more Fucking so nerd. studious. Yeah. yeah, more so studious and and just uh, not wanting to give my parents a hard time, a hard time because I saw how stressful it was. That His said, first name was Rob Uzi. <laughs> Swift. Is that true? Nah, dude. I know, he's, I know, I know. Don't listen to this, dude. Don't worry, but you I know wasn't. what it is? You were the, the age, the age difference between you and your brother. You were young enough to not be right behind him, and it saved you. You know what I mean? Like when you're yeah. when your brother's two, three years younger, he might start hanging out with you while you're doing bad stuff. So lucky, lucky for you or your parents, really, you were like. Yeah, younger. Yeah, too, I just I, I what I'm what I'm also finding amusing is like you know sometimes I, I, I how do I say this? So my brother is the person who got me into hip hop. Mm. 
So, you know, I think sort of it's a known thing in my family that to some degree, like, is my brother's, like, you know, my biggest supporter and we work together and all that stuff. But there's a little bit probably of, like, I was actually, in his eyes, I was actually the one that was into hip-hop. Yeah. And my little brother now is, it's like, that's his brand. Yeah. And people meet him and go, oh, your brother. And I was just going to say, like, the next time my brother, if he ever were to feel, say, like, say it to me, I'd be like, well, just so you know. Rob Swift's brother was a fucking DJ, okay? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you went on, and his little brother went on to be literally one of the greatest DJs of all time. You know what I think, Pete? Like, I can't necessarily speak for your brother, but I wonder if it was the same situation with my brother in that even my father, too. I don't think both of them had the foresight that I did with regards to DJing. I think for them, it was... I know for my dad, it was means to, to an end. Yeah. Oh, for my dad, it was a way to make extra money to take care of us. For my brother, it was this thing that he was experiencing. Kids in New York City in that first decade yeah. of hip hop were, I mean, dude, you would walk to a random corner store and see kids breaking on yeah, cardboard. Like cardboard and I was one of those kids. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, Every kid, regardless of race, was into hip-hop in some form, breaking, rhyming, DJing if you could. I was lucky to have a dad that had the equipment. Mostly graffiti. You know, you could go into a store, steal a bunch of, you know, spray paint and tag up the 7 train. You know what I mean? Or tag up a wall or a storefront. So you were doing some sort of element if you were a kid. And my brother was doing it all. He wrote graffiti, DJed, rapped. Um, crime. And crime. Cipher <laughs> but, 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 the fifth element. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. <laughs> because these kids in New York City were unsupervised, yeah, a lot of their fun ended up, you know, in doing some sort of crime, right? But luckily, my, my brother did have the music as some sort of, like, escape or outlet for that and I'm just super thankful man to my brother and my father because if it wasn't for them and less even for encouraging me to ask my brother to teach us because if my brother didn't teach us how to DJ if my dad didn't have the equipment I definitely would not be sitting here yeah. with y'all today so then when did you like start DJing not just messing around with the turntables but like as a teenager you were getting after it Bro, I was getting after it that same year. I remember at my junior high school, I found out that the school was going to have a G.O. dance. And it's basically a dance that would take place once a year for the whole student body. And I went to the principal and I was like, let me DJ it. And he was like, sure. And he paid me <laughs> $50. I convinced my dad to let me take the equipment out of the house and set it up at the school. And what's cool is as a kid, I would help my dad pack up all this equipment, wires, microphones, my mom, my brother, and myself would help him transport it to like churches and people's houses and all types of places in and around the Queens area. And now my dad is like helping me pack up his That's equipment crazy. and I'm taking it to junior high school, IS-145, setting it up in the gymnasium and gradually all the students started to trickle in 
And all my friends were like, yo, Rob, you DJ? Like, what? You like, were the only were DJ. Out. I was the only D- Well, me and Les DJed, obviously. But wow, that's crazy. I was the one that DJed the, the dance. Crazy. So it is crazy, man. And I look back at those experiences with just, I don't know how to describe it other than to say, like, it's nostalgic for me because nowadays, man, yeah, man, like, people get into this DJ and shit for different reasons and for me I'm grateful because it everything that happened was just like this organic process of just loving music wanting to be like my dad and my brother wanting to share music with my friends after that everybody was asking me to like put together mixtapes for them and yeah. and gradually little by little my name just grew and so did were you Les's already name. were you already Rob is, Swift no so my brother's friend who rapped would come to our house. We'd make mixtapes. I DJ. My brother would rhyme. His friend would rhyme. And his friend was like, yo, you should call yourself Swift because you're so fast. So I was like, all right, DJ Swift. And Les's name was Incredible Hands. Hey, yo. <laughs> That's a hey, terrible yo. name. But yo, but you know what's dope too is Les's mom was like a seamstress. So... We would buy starter jackets and then take out like the baseball logos and give the jackets to Les's mom. And then she would like, she would take leather and like cut our names and then sew wow. to the jackets. Y'all were lit. Yo, yo, we would like walk That's around fine. junior high school like, like with, with our names on these starter jackets, Swift and his like incredible hands. And you would see like these two hands and shit. Like, <laughs> <Yeah. word. laughs> like that is yo, amazing. It like, is. You, you ever see like less anywhere? Like I saw less like a year and a half ago. Do y'all talk about these old days or remember the, um, so I saw him in LA. He moved to LA mm-hmm. and, uh, I was out there with ESPN and, um, I, he, invited me to come chill with him and like be real from Cypress Hill. And, and we were just chilling at, uh, what is it? Mr. Green thumb, that mm-hmm. little podcast that he has. Oh yeah. And yeah. so, um, we caught up there after a few years. Um, but it's like less than I know what that time was like. And we just kind of just talk about what's going on in our lives. Yeah. You don't have the to present time, talk right? about it yeah. like that, but like, it's I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm hearing it for the first time. You remember, so you remember, so dope. you remember the Sopranos? When everyone's sitting around on the trip to Florida and Tony just gets up and the storm's off and he's like, there's nothing more pathetic than remember when conversation. The storm's yeah, like, no, the, it's, it, it's the lowest form of conversation. And Tony like, so, yeah. and Paulie's like, hey. Um, we know what we did. Man. Right, right. That's so crazy, it man. Is. So who, who, do you, who else did you know young? Anyone else? So there was Psycho yeah, Less. Obviously, the next name that comes to mind is Juju. I was, yeah, I mean, that would so Les and I started DJing together. A friend of Les's named Mauricio, who was also a DJ and lived in Les's building, was friends with this guy named Jerry Tinio, who happens to be Juju. And Les, I guess, after like getting to know Juju, caught the production bug. the record digging bug and gradually he started to gravitate more towards making beats digging for loops right and i and i kind of was left alone djing but the beauty there is that 
I got cool with Jerry, with Juju. And Juju, for me, was like a god, man. Because when we were in high school, he was like, he was the guy that would hang around us and tell us stories about like being in a studio with Jungle Brothers and hanging out with Red Alert. And that's crazy. Going record shopping with Q-Tip. Yeah, he Q-tip. told us that when we had him. I like, forgot about right, that. Right. Exactly. Like in high school, they were like around like right. the, the Jungle Brothers. And right, stuff. exactly. So Juju was like a god to me because I... He was connected to hip-hop for real. He was connected to hip-hop for real. Yeah. And whereas... There's, no, my, there's nothing more than nah. being connected to Red Alert at that right. time. Oh, exactly. my God. It's, that's yeah, crazy. Exactly. It's like a TikTok star. Right, exactly. <laughs> and exactly like that. Juju was almost like a second brother to me, too. Like, he would come to my house, sometimes with less, other times without less, and we'd just sit down, listen to records, talk about records. Wow. I'd, I'd DJ for him, and he'd just sit there and watch me like he was like my audience. Um, and there came a point where I think Juju was like, all right, you're serious, Rob. I need to introduce you to someone that I know that I think is going to help you. And that guy ended up being Dr. Dr. Butcher. Dr. Butcher. Dr. Butcher was Cool G Raps DJ. Ah, yes, yes, yes. And... Cool G Raps from Corona. Butcher Shop, yes. Right. Yes. Cool G Raps from Corona. Juju's from Corona. Dr. Butcher's from Corona. Wow. And so Juju was like, yo, man, I got to introduce you to this dude. And, that, and he was like a real scratcher for that era, right? Yo, that guy was nasty, man. He lives in Dallas now. But um, he was like one of the nastiest dudes. And the thing with Butcher was, now we're talking 1990. I just graduated high school. And I went and saw my first DJ battle in person, which was the 1990 New Music Seminar battle Ooh. for World Supremacy. It was in Times Square at this like abandoned theater, right on right on the 40 Deuce. And I'm seeing like all of my DJ heroes: Steve D, Aladdin, Red Alert, Chuck Chill Out, DJ but Scratch. They're just they were just hosting and hanging out. They were there hanging out, taking in the battle. Clark Kent. And after the battle, I went home and Juju called me and was like, yo, because he, again, he would come to my house and we would practice together. And he was like, yo, yo, Rob, I've been practicing, man. And dude, like there's this routine that I came up with. I'd want you to hear it. Now, again, back then there were no smartphones and none of that. So he put the phone to the speaker. Mm -hmm. And what I'm hearing is who I think is Juju obliterating public enemies welcome to the terror dome which like, ended up being your go-to which, thing which which ended up being one of my go-to routines that's crazy peter that you know that um respect um but i do too <laughs> but <clears throat> i'm thinking <laughs> it's juju and the whole time he was playing a joke on me it was dr butcher Oh. Killing his record, so he but doing the, the same kind of thing where he's dropping in a like using the sample, or he uh, was just bringing it back, like back spinning, scratching, juggling, like taking a drum section of the song, rearranging it, and I'm thinking it's Juju. So Juju gets back on the phone, and I'm jaw on the floor, mm-hmm. and I'm like, I remember feeling stupid because I felt like, damn, Juju got so much better than me in a weekend. 
Like, right. how is that possible? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yo, little kids are fucking yeah, dumb. Right. I Yo, was what like, were you doing all weekend, bro, bro? For real. That's literally what I thought. And we and we hung up, and I'm like, yo, I gotta practice, man. Like, damn. And a couple of days went by, and he called me. He was like, yo, that wasn't me. That was Dr. Butcher. Like, that's the guy whose house I need to take you to. And I was like, when can we go? And he took me to Drew's house, and we practiced together. I have, actually have some really cool uh, archival footage on my YouTube page of Drew and I practicing at his room. And that first day, you brought a video camera, huh? You brought not a well, I, not that first day, but oh, but oh, but after times, yeah. that day that I went to his house, Butcher was like, "Dude, you're good at copying." Because in my head, I thought as long as I could do what the guys that I look up to can do, mm. I'm dope. Yeah. And so I went to his house with like my with routines that belong to other DJs, right. and he was like, "I want to help you understand how to tap into your creativity right. and." So you could create your routines. That's crazy. And find your voice. And I was sold. And so we trained for like eight months. And I entered my first battle in 1991, which was the Northeast DMC. So, okay. So you DJ a party in junior high school. Did you do a lot of parties after that? We did. Or I did. Yeah. And I say we, you know, meaning Psycho Less and I would DJ around the neighborhood sometimes i dj by myself by then my whole you know junior high school knew that i dj'd so people would ask me to dj because there's that parties. moment there's that moment in a young dj's career especially in that era in that age where like you become like a party dj or are you gonna become like a turntable right but it's funny well actually there wasn't a you kind of invent y'all invented right. that lane i kind of came after that's true you know that's what I mean? But like, but like you, you wanted to like do battle stuff. Well, all right. So the term turntablist came after that era. Right. For me, let's say 12 well, to 19 years yeah. old. Right. But there were battle DJs that existed that entered competitions like the new music seminar battle. And when you went to that battle, sorry to interrupt you. Mm -hmm. When you went to that battle, had you ever seen anything like that before? Or was that like, oh my God, there's a whole other thing I didn't know about? I saw it on TV thanks to Ralph McDaniels, Video Music Box. Yeah. Ralph went and filmed the DMC that took place before that seminar battle right. that I attended. It was the 1990... The 90 DMC. The 90 DMC. And then you were in the 91 DMC, right? And then I was in the 91 DMC. That's yeah. crazy. Well, he got better in a weekend. <laughs> you basically yeah, did nah, get dude. better in a weekend. So here's the thing. like, I remember seeing Video Music Box, Ralph McDaniels show excerpts of this battle. Yeah. And before that, I heard DJ battles, thanks to Johnny Juice, who did a lot of the original scratches on the first two PE albums. Yeah. He had a college radio show. And on Johnny Juice's radio show, he would dub VHS tapes of these battles onto cassette and then play Flame. the excerpts, the Fire. audio excerpts on his radio show. Well, so, I got news for you. That that didn't translate into a, like a, a future commercial radio show. Nah. But <laughs> thankfully, your juggling routines. Yeah, nah. But thankfully, like, you That's know, so crazy. back then, kids were just hip-hop geeks. Right. Like, it's not the way it is now. And so, like, I would... 
stay up Saturday from like 11 to like 2, 3 a.m. and just listen to Johnny Juice's show, specifically because Juice was so nice behind the turntables. I learned a lot about DJing from listening to him. What station was this, by the way? This was uh, Jeff Foss was the host. It was in... It was a Long Island College radio show. Oh, was it man, BAU? It was wasn't BAU. BAU. It, it was another one. It was an. I, I don't yeah. know if it was. If he was, I oh, forgot man. what college it was. It's man. not where it Public Enemy like came no. together. No, that's, that was, BAU. that's BAU. That's that's BAU. BAU. That was BAU. That's a Delphi. This was a different. That was a Delphi, right? Yeah, maybe Hofstra. Stony Brook. It wasn't Stony Brook. Yeah, it wasn't Stony Brook. You might not even get the signal from Stony Brook. But because I heard these battles via Johnny Juice's show, it inspired me to train harder. Mm. Harder than what my brother was training me to be and harder than the DJs that I heard on WBLS and 98.7 Kiss, which is a sports ESPN now. Yeah. But back then, it was, you know, Chuck Chill Out, yeah, Red that Alert. that was more party. Right, exactly. Right. And then so, listening to battles. Right. So I was doing both, basically. I was DJing parties, for my junior high school friends and high school friends, but also cultivating these specific techniques that mm. a handful of DJs were doing. Yeah. And so I see the DMC on Video Music Box, and I'm like, yo, that's how they're doing the stuff that I'm listening right. on the radio when I tune into Johnny Juice. Okay, now I'm kind of understanding You have to see it. it because you have to see it. How would you understand? I, I would never be able to understand beat juggling, hearing oh, I it. I couldn't even understand... With, I couldn't even say doubles. Right. Clack, clack, right. click, click, oh, clack, no. clack. I was like, do they have an echo machine? Like, exactly. It never occurred you know, to me. When I found out that you're supposed to buy two copies oh, of a blown. record, and I was like, oh, it was like the end of uh, uh, Sixth Sense. Like, I, I, oh. I, I, by the way, that is such an <laughs> underrated point. Yo, and that shit When is, you find out, I was like, I thought when they did blends, I thought they, I thought they were taking the instrumental. They would blend in the instrumental, and then the acapella was on the other turntable, and they were like playing the song. I didn't understand wow. any yeah. of what was going on. Yeah, that shit wow. was wild, man. That is that's so that's so cool because you got to see with juggling. I was watching your routine earlier. Like juggling is such an interesting art form. It's one of those art forms that if you understand what you're looking at, I could be like, oh my god, this is brilliant. Yeah, and then I could be like, hey. Look at this so and so, no, and they'd go, "What the fuck is this shit?" Goes right over their heads. You couldn't get it. You just, I, I hear random drums clacking. Right. I don't even know what right. I'm looking just, at. Just not knowing what's happening, and you're watching that or hearing that, you're like, "What the fuck is going on?" But if you know what's happening, you're like, "Oh, this is crazy." But even now, that's what makes a great juggle is that it takes you a second to figure out what pattern they're making. You're like, "Wait, where do they use it?" Oh, they're using that part. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's yeah. such an interesting. So how did you manage to get there? Where by ninety one, you're not. Did you win in ninety one? So I came in third. What happened was, what are we talking to this guy for? Let's get the guy who came in first. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Steve D. All you could get was the third place guy. Steve D. Okay, came so you came first. in third. So Juju takes me to Doctor Butcher's house. Doctor Butcher takes me as a student after I tell him to take me as a student and to help me train for the 91 DMC. We trained for eight That's months. Crazy. What is this fucking karate kid? Yeah. yeah, right. No, dude, it's funny that you say that because <laughs> I was just about to say we trained for eight months like monks. Like I would be at his house at 6 p.m. because he got home 
around 5.45 from his law firm job. He had this job at this law firm. And then he would go Hilarious. home. And I would be at his house waiting for him. And big ups to Keisha, who he's married to now. But back then, his girlfriend, his recent girlfriend, Keisha, would be at his house waiting for him. And then I'd show up. And then he would kick her out of the room. She'd stomp out. And pr he'd practice with me for like two hours two, three hours, and then I'd go home and practice more, and we did this for eight months. What? Every day? For eight yo, months. This... Every, Monday through Friday, bro, for eight yo, months. I may, I may, I may... Shit. Yo, man, man we might, I might have to, like, take your story to Hollywood, man. That's a, <laughs> that alone right there. Yeah. Imagine if Mr. Miyagi had a day job as, as a lawyer. <laughs> Miyagi's son. He, he did have a day job. He was no, a no, super. No, no, but imagine if it was... He'd come back, a big case for Miyagi's son today. You know what's, what's crazy? What's crazy, when you think about it, though, is... That this guy would get home from work, you know, working nine to five. Insane. And train with me for another two, yeah, three hours. Wait, how old was he at the time? Uh, Drew is like two years older than me. So okay. he was like 21. So you're saying he wasn't a real doctor at the time? <laughs> nah. <laughs> He's actually a he lawyer. He was a doctor of the turntables. <laughs> He's actually a lawyer and a vegetarian. And, and where was, tables. like, was he still with G-Rap at the time or not really? He was really? with G-Rap. So, with G -Rap G -Rap at the time. so there wasn't that many shows back then like there are. Like, yeah. He didn't really go on tour. Like, they would do shows. they do shows, you know, on the weekends. weekends and and yeah. I would go to his house Monday through Friday and train for it as long as I could. You got and to meet G-Rap? I met, as he took kid? me to G-Rap's house. When I got here to the, uh, to the podcast studio, the first thing I asked Peter was, yo, should I take my shoes off? Because it's so beautiful here, the wood floor and oh, all that. Thank you. And I got that from going to G-Rap's house. He was like, take your fucking shoes yeah, off. He would, yeah. he would make you take your shoes. Him, well, his girl at the time, Karen, would make you take your shoes Karen. off. So that's that's right. Yo, that's such an ill name drop. <laughs> so, but yo, back to Butcher. He would, He's talking about Superhead. He, he would... Nah, not that no, one. Not that. That's Corinne. Yeah, it's no, that <laughs> So who's Karen? No, just this girl yeah, at the yeah, time. Yeah, just this girl at the time. <laughs> I thought you gave me the nah, one song. No, no, like, no, 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 I was laughing because like yeah. she's being a Karen telling me <laughs> to take the shoes off. Not but I think it's Corinne. No, no, What no, a coincidence. No, no. Sorry, I apologize, Karen. <laughs> but um, yeah, man, this dude would train me for two hours after he got home from work. That's and, and because of that, I was super prepared. And so I entered my first battle, March. Did he battle? No, he just he never trained battled. me to battle. He never battled, but he was he nice. Could have, though. right? And he should have, but he devoted all of his energy. I get choked up just thinking about it into training me, wow. so that I could, you know. Yeah, he's like this young buck's yeah. gonna get it. Yeah, Drew, Doctor Butcher. So yeah. I was ready. So he's your number one. He's the most important. <laughs> For sure. Influencing For sure, life. for sure. I, I love my dad, obviously, and my That's brother a was guy. a big influence on me, but Dr. Butcher, the thing with him was he taught me how to tap into my own individual creativity. So it's like yeah, I, I was able to personalize all the stuff that I was seeing the DJs leading up to meeting Butcher. All these techniques, I was able to like, to like personalize them and... Mm. And make them my own. You know what I'm saying? Mm. So enter the 1991 DMC. And at the time with DJ Battles, there was a lot of politics. And Clark Kent was one of the judges who was the head of the Superman. And he and Richie Rich 
were mentoring the same way Dr. Butcher mentored me. They were mentoring this guy named Supreme. Don't say he was in the battle. And Supreme was in the battle. Oh, my God, yeah. Cypher. This is a conflict <laughs> of interest. It is. It is. So I play third. Look, no no shade to Supreme or Clark. I love you, Clark. Um, I love you, Rich. Richie Rich was training Supreme. No, but it's a small but, community. But, yeah, exactly. Now? Right, huh? Who's Supreme? Sup- who he was the one who was called. Like, who is he now? Like, oh, did oh. he stick um, with it? Oh, uh, yeah. He still DJs. He, you see him every now and then, like, cutting it up at, like, events and stuff. Mm. He's still doing it. Yep. He, he goes by the name of Grandmaster Supreme now. So you can look mm. him out, look him up on, like, social media and stuff. But, um, uh, you know, from my perspective, I felt that I should have played second at least. But Supreme came in second. Steve D won. First and second place were going to be flown to Chicago to compete in the American finals. Mm. And so I was crushed. I was crushed. You wanted that trip to Chicago. I wanted that trip to Chicago. And so they call my name third place. I get on stage. They give me the prizes. I throw the prizes in the crowd. <laughs> and I like I stormed off the stage and like I was Yeah, bawling, <laughs> bawling my eyes out, bro. Like I was straight Sife, up is that crying. A, is that a Queens reaction or a more Brooklyn reaction? <laughs> no, yeah. a, no disrespect. This is a little bit of a bitch movie. Like, <laughs> so Queens, oh, I don't want. This. So you mean it's Queens? Is what you're saying? No, nah, no, nah, it's it's not a bitch movie. Nah, it's I'm it's it's it, what it is is. I think what was happening was all of the like emotion. And like that's a lot of work you right? did, man. All the eight months yeah. of practicing, and I think that shit just like exploded out of me. You know what I mean? What? All that stress. Nineteen, and I'm like nineteen, 19 years yeah, old, yeah, and all that, right? That, yeah. So, um, the cool thing there, though, is that Butcher, because Butcher knew Steve was another hero of mine, goes up to Steve and he's like, "Yo, Steve, man, my my students over there, like, bawling his eyes out, not." having fun and taking in the moment right he came yeah, in third, yeah, you place, third place right yeah and he's over there angry go talk to him yeah. and steve went up to me gave me his number invited how old was steve at the time steve had to be like 25 yeah, yeah like 25 years old and you're and i'm like 19, 19 so gives me his number and invites me to his house to train with him. That's crazy. Rock Raider, yeah. rest in peace, Sean C, Johnny Cash, the four original members of the X-Men. And so Butcher and I went to his house like a week later. We all practiced together. Now I'm happy. I'm like, wait, so that? because you came in third and because you balled and threw shit in the crowd, I won't use the foul language so I've said to describe it. I was kidding. I know, I know. But <laughs> because of that, you then got to meet Rock Raider. Got to meet Rock Raider, went to Steve D's house, met Johnny Cash, Sean C, the four original members of the X. Sean C, Sean C, Sean C, Sean C. I knew that. I knew. Sean I didn't C know was Sean C. Sean C was an X. Sean C, the producer of Black Thought and Jay Z, Jay Z, American Gangster, was an original member of the X Men. Wow. Sean and Steve. Sorry to cut you off, okay. Sife. Sean and Steve founded the X Men, and their whole Shtick Sean was Steve. Okay. Yeah, their whole shtick was wanting to battle the Supermen. Mm. That's why they called themselves the X Men because they Crazy. wanted to. Because Steve experienced his, politics you know, politics right before, get, getting into right. battles before me and stuff, and so they were like, "Yo, man, we should battle these dudes." 
you know? So Dr. Butcher and I went to Steve's house and after we finished training, Steve looks at us and he's like, yo, we want to know if you guys want to be down with us. And I'm crazy. Holy shit. And that's how I got into the X-Men. But he asked Dr. Butcher also? He asked the both of us because he knew Butcher trained me. And what's cool is Steve and Butcher had practiced together months before that connection, right? Or it might have even been like a year before that, actually. Who's Johnny Cash? Johnny Cash is an original member of the X-Men. He was good friends with Steve, lived in Steve's area, St. Nicholas Projects in Harlem. Raider and Sean were friends, and they lived in the like 112th and Lennox area of Harlem. So the four of them, and Steve and Sean were friends. So that's how the four oh, of them man, okay. came together. Johnny Cash is not around anymore. Johnny Cash lives like in Jacksonville, Florida, and he has like a family. As he should. As, <laughs> As he should. I'm kind of jealous of the practice sessions that y'all used to have. You know what I mean? Like, I never got, like, the only thing, the closest thing I had was when I used to go to Riz's house. Riz. And, but Riz would always be like, yo, let's go practice with, with Daddy Rich or Rich Nice and, um, you know, other people. And I, would, I, don't, I wouldn't be part of the, the practice sessions. Why not? I don't know. I was in school at the time yeah. or whatever. You were just learning. But were you not really good yet? No, I was terrible. So, like, you couldn't even really practice with them already? No, but you, Riz knew I always wanted to just go to shit. My, the funny thing you were saying earlier about Dr. Butcher helping you find your own voice like to this day, I'm just copying DJ Riz. <laughs> to this day, bro. Yeah. Every, I swear That's how you to learn. God, every time I DJ a party or a radio mix or anything, because Riz used to do this thing. Riz would write on his record the counts before the verse started or whatever. So it took me a long time to transfer my DJ's counting style. Into Wait, so you, do you mean beats? Yeah, he would write 30, he would call it counts. He would write 32 CT, which is eight bars. So eight before, if it was a really long intro song, got it. No, most most songs are eight bars. Yeah, I guess right. I guess eight eight is right. Yeah, 32 is regular. So uh, so to this day, I'm DJing, I'm like, one, two, three, wait for the count. And then I'm like, oh, this is reggae, it's usually 16 count and everything. But like, even to this day, the way I like, like, I listen to Mr. C. Now I'm on 94.7 The Block, right? So I listen to Mr. C every day, throwback at noon, and Mr. C does a lot of stuff where he just throws it from the top, right? He plays, like, the top of the song. I don't think Riz ever played mm. the top of a song because he always would blend, and right before the verse comes in, he would fade it in. And that's my style to this day. Yeah. You know what dope. I'm saying? Yeah, you don't start a lot from the top. That's a if I re- if I do like a pull up, because then I, then you add my Jamaican style. If I do a pull up, and then I started from the top just to bring it back. But if I'm blending, it's always like into the verse. That happens, you know. You are influenced by people you look up to, and sometimes it's hard to shake that influence. And yeah, it's it, how I learned. Right, like, exactly. It's like it's, we all learn from. I watch them at parties, just hours. Just and like, I was the same way. But I think I was lucky enough to be around Dr. Butcher enough to where he helped me discover my voice. And so, you know, yeah, maybe you weren't doing... able to, like, get to that point. Right. Because, you know what I'm no, saying? No, no, no. Like, I, I, 
I found my own style of DJing mm-hmm. part, and also a lot of my style comes with my with my voice. Mm. Literally, my, my Riz, Riz my doesn't mic talk, still, does he? Not, not really, really, no. Nah, but, Riz is more quiet. But yeah. you and Doctor Butcher, the way you're saying it, bro, you treat the turntable like an instrument. Yeah, you're a musician. It's a completely different thing. Like I'm trying to rock a party. You had to like come up with like like the closest thing I have to what you do is like I'm. <laughs> I remember we used to. I used to open up for Riz at the Limelight, and I would play the juicy instrumental, and then cut up. Now I'm in the limelight. Now, now I'm in the limelight. It's your little routine. Like, I'm legitimately <laughs> yo, embarrassed yo, to know yo, you. Right Riz now. was like, "That's that's cute. That's <laughs> cute, man. That's super cute." Now, now I'm in the limelight. Honestly, but when you talk about it, it really makes me realize <laughs> that like the fact that. DJ is the only word that there is. I mean, no turntable list does exist, but that's like the, the official word is we're all DJs. Of course. But what you do, mm-hmm. I mean, listen, Sife's better than me, but we're, we at least do a similar field. You do a totally different thing altogether that if you were like, yo, Sife, Rosenberg, get on here and do like an executioner style battle, mm-hmm. it would not be I good. Got, I got the one routine. What routine? What would you do? With the limelight? No, <laughs> you no, no. Hit the limelight you know my routine? No, yeah, you've told me. You hit the, you'd copy Primo? No, my routine is uh, for a battle. My routine is um, criminology. Okay. When Ghostface goes... Moving some something something in a cipher, I revolve around no, scientists. scientists. Cipher, I, I revolve around cipher. I revolve around cipher. I revolve around. Woo! I'll battle all y'all motherfuckers, yo. So you have how many times you bring that back, and that's the end of the battle? I mean, I, once I do one spin, it's on beat. <laughs> that's dope. That's one of the things. Okay, so oh, in, this is just one example: the ninety-one yeah. DMC. When you do the nobody beats the biz. Well, that was ninety-two. That's ninety-two. Sorry. Yeah. So ninety-two, mm-hmm. you did nobody beats the biz. Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, I would argue in my in my viewing of DJ battles over over the years, nobody beats the biz is maybe the number one most. It's it's up there for the most Why battle used record I've ever heard. The P- production, there's, there's so many the production, sounds and the, the, the way Molly Mall sequenced yeah. the music. It's just perfect for someone like myself that wants to make their own composition. Mm. It's like you have these palette of colors. Under underneath your fingertips that you could rearrange however you want. And whereas maybe now producers don't necessarily yeah. produce with DJs in mind. Back then, producers arranged their music with the intent of that song ended ending up on Chuck Chill Out Show and Chuck yeah. Chill Out obliterating it so you would add like these bridges and these sounds right, right, and right. these intros and production now isn't necessarily well a lot of the producers were djs right so exactly. they knew Which what Molly to mall was right yeah, to so, add what so, to add yeah so in that battle was were you playing off 12 inches of nobody beats the Biz? yeah it was 12 inches that i still have and i got marley to sign them too five <sighs> word um, did you five. ever did you ever in a battle have to do routines where you were using songs that were only on a full-length album, so it was a, a harder. Yes, that's yes. a pain in the ass. It's bro. a pain in the in the in the ass, and the thing that I think about that really bothered me about using albums was for some reason the way the vinyl was cut. You'd scratch once or twice, and that's it. You'd hear that record mm-hmm. burn. Oh yeah, it yeah. wasn't like twelve inches. Twelve inches could take that 
back and forth scratching of that one part that you're practicing with for months and months better than so the nobody beats the biz that you spread out more and the nobody beats the biz that you used for example was that the only copies you had of that or did you practice for months on some and got more yeah you would wear out one pair and then you'd have to go to the record store or multiple record stores until you found another pair and you'd buy them or you would buy as many pairs as you could because you knew yeah, you're gonna fuck this. You're up, gonna yeah. you're gonna wear them out anyway. So there was a dedication on behalf of DJs of my era that it's just hard to really quantify no. or put you into words. You can't explain it. You can't explain the it. spending so of money, money and collecting. That, the crazy aspect that gets forgotten about a lot. The money and then the excursion yeah. of looking for these records throughout the city. Nah, it's, yeah. if, it's you're, if you're using Nobody Beats the Biz, which came out in what? 87. And now you're in 91. It's right. not like they, it's not like nowadays where like they pressed it. They, they weren't pressing them over and over. Right. They sold it and they moved on. Right. Did you, did, were you using all real cold chilling singles or would you get like their bootlegs that had nah. the old school bootlegs? Bootlegs are the worst for the for kind that. of DJing that we're talking about because it's just. Low quality, the, right? low quality, or they'll be warped. Yeah, the original pressings were always the best. So you would look for original pressings till you found them, and you know you referenced the '92 DMC, and it was a year of me wanting to win a battle. Right, I placed third in the '91 East Coast DMC. Then I entered the '91 New Music Seminar battle. And got bounced out the second round. Damn. I remember Qbert was a judge for that battle. And he confided in me that was some weird shit going on with the judging. And so enter the third battle. Yeah, that's what was happening back then. And it still happens. Well, the thing is, is sometimes you have a judge on the panel that doesn't like you. You know what I'm saying? So, because everyone's yeah. DJs, right? Yeah, and there's a lot so of so you know just, competition. It's incestuous. And, the whole thing's incestuous. Right. So, but you know what? Your reaction was my reaction. Like, why would why you just pick the person who won? Yeah. But for me, these were like really cool lessons, man. That like I was learning not just about politics, right, and how the world is, but lessons that were personal lessons that revolved around, well, do you want this? And if you do, what are you going to do to prevent that from happening mm-hmm. the next time you battle? Third battle I got in was the, you know, and y'all could watch the video on my YouTube page. New Music Seminar Battle, 1992, first round. I'm battling this guy named Lord Kasim, who was Master Ace's DJ. Mm. And I beat him straight up. I beat him, and the judges picked him. And you hear the crowd like boo. Like this crowd was dope because they were very vocal. So everyone's booing. Dr. Dre from original, yeah, original Concept Crew was hosting. He was like, damn, I don't know about that one. Like what happened? Like Clark Kent got on the mic and was like, dude, what was that? And I remember I was like at this crossroads after that because it was like 
damn, this shit keeps happening. Like I keep getting jerked. Is it even worth all the months that I'm putting into training, getting into these battles and then losing, but to politics, not because my opponent was actually Mm. better than me. And that was when I was like, all right, I'm going to do this shit one more time. And I'm not going to let the judges take this shit from me. And that's when I came up with the biz routine and all the routines that you saw me do in that 92 battle were inspired by the judging of the previous three battles that I was in. Like I was just fed up and I was like, nah, they're not going to take this one away from me. And, and thank God I won. How many, what are, what are your biggest DJ accolades and from, uh, battle standpoints? Really, that one, the 92 battle that I won. DMC. The DMC, right. And did, did that take you to the what? To the, that t- to so the that, one took me, that one took me to the American finals. Right. And the f- interesting thing about that was that year was the first year the DMC allowed teams to battle mm. in the competition. Historically, the battle was individuals compete for six minutes. You have one round to showcase your best stuff. And then you get off, and then the next DJ goes up. But in 92, they added a team element. In addition to? In ad- no, not in addition to. It was morphed into the battle. So, so it was both. It was, it, was, it was you could go up there by yourself, but there was a team that was going to come on right after you and compete as well. And that team that won that year happened to be the Rocksteady DJs, Qbert, Mixmaster Mike, DJ Apollo. Yeah, <laughs> so it was like guys. six hands. Yeah, you know guys, what I mean? There was there was no sick, way anybody man. was beating those guys. So they went to the worlds and won the world championship that year. I mean, so, that one you weren't upset about. Not at all. Because well, I was guys, a, I, I'm not gonna lie to you. Like I was frustrated that the year that I knew I was gonna retire from battling was the year that they were gonna allow teams right, to compete. Right, right. But at the same time, they killed it, and That's those were saying. the rules. That one, you, know? you felt they earned that one. They earned it. It wasn't those were the rules. They, were, they killed it. Yeah, they, they, they killed that, it. Those guys were sick. If I had six arms, you know what I mean? Maybe it would have been different, but there's no way one person with two arms can compete against six arms. So you won the East Coast DMC. Mm-hmm. What was um, the other members of X-Men? Yes. What, Rado, did Rado win... Raider International? Won. Raider re- actually battled with me in the 92 DMC. Uh-huh. We both retired at the same time. Okay. We started DJing for rappers. I started DJing for Akinelli. I remember Akinelli actually went to the oh, 92. These Queens motherfuckers stick together, yeah. man. Akinelli? Yeah, Ak. I was, I was Ak's DJ for like four for years. For the first album? For the Vagina Dyna album. <sighs> we, and we, and uh, like put it in your mouth. Really? Oh, 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 yeah. well, you were great. at the tunnel? I was at the tunnel. Oh my yep. god! Oh shit! Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Wait, did I know you? I, we we knew each other through Fat Beats. Yeah, Fat Beats. But we necessarily we didn't necessarily interact like right. in the nightclub scene. I was I was a quiet dude. Like I wasn't in the nightclubs like yeah, that. Like yeah. I know you were interning with Flex and yeah, all that. Yeah, yeah. I was when you was out. I was home practicing. Right. Basically. Course, you know so Rada, so, obviously, yeah. <laughs> I'm a so, terrible DJ. So yeah. So you and Raider retired at the same time. Me and Raider, Raider and I retired at the oh, same time. Man, it was and retiring at an old age of 21. <laughs> he's retired from battling at least. Yeah. Uh, he started DJing for Showbiz and AG. I started DJing for Ock. 
And the reason I referenced that is because you were like, well, Raider, what did he win? And and what happened with Raider was like, he was like, nah, dude, I, I still have that like, like on some Michael Jordan shit. He was like, dude, like I want to, I want to win a world championship. And he hadn't won anything up until the point that we retired in 92. So he was like, yo, Rob, help me train. Now it's 1995. Or 94, I should By say. By the way, this is the sequel to the DJ and Karate yeah. Kid. It was the sequel. Yeah. And he was like, he was literally <laughs> like. Okinawa. <laughs> he was literally like, yo, Rob, help me train for the 95. Like, I want to come out of retirement and try to win this shit. And I was like, all right, let's do it. And we trained and he fucking won that shit, yo. Won, that's Where was the international? Well, you know, the the you have the East Coast. I remember, yo, he he, the East Coast competition was in Philly. And more politics shit. You know, always it was always the thing where first and second went to the following battle, the uh, the American, the national. Yeah. He was battling. Uh, Craze was in that battle. Craze in Philly. Oh, crazy! And there was nice. this guy named he is a beast. And there was this guy named DJ Ghetto who was from Philly in that battle. And Raider was in a battle. And Raider did a stin, killed it. But they gave first place to DJ Ghetto, who is a Philly native. I personally feel Raider won. And was crazy. I, I don't think I've ever told this story. But yes. was was really crazy about that was Raider, you know, I know you remember Raider. He was super emotional. Like, very emotional. And, like, he had, like, a... He was quiet, but he also had, like, a mean streak. A wild, yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So... He lost, Hard. and I remember he fucking, like, stormed out of the venue, like, kicked the door out of the venue. He was like, yo, fuck the DMC and fuck the judges. He was like, yo, I'm not doing the American finals. I was like, dude, what do you mean you're not doing the American finals? Like, Because he's still advanced? He's still advanced, but he thought, I'm just going to get jerked. Because, like, all of us would just get jerked in our experiences battling. Mm. There was a battle with him uh in the 91 seminar where he obviously won that battle and they gave it to Supreme, who was a Superman, yeah. you know? So um, he was like, yo, I'm not going to fucking do this battle. Like, it's just going to happen again. I'm going to get jerked. Like, he almost missed out on winning That's the 95 yeah. World DMC because he was so convinced that they weren't going to let him advance past the American finals. And I was like, yo, man, you need to calm down. Right. And I remember we took the bus home the next morning and I talked to him and I was like, dude, let's just see what happens. Let's just train and and leave it in God's hands. And he won and went to the world finals and fucking in London. London. Did you go? Nah, nah. They only flew him out. I was a poor college kid going to Baruch. Actually, I was I probably couldn't go because I was in school. Um, But. Yeah, dude. So you were in school and DJing for Akinelli at the time? I was in school and DJing for Akinelli, which was tough because there would be... Thursday shows. Well, Thursday shows. So I'd be in a van driving down to Virginia with books and everyone else is, you know, with groupies (laughs) and going crazy. And I'm there (laughs) like reading psych books and shit. Um, (laughs) And also... I remember one semester with Ak, we went on tour. We were touring the Vagina Diner album, and 
the tour spilled over into my fall semester at Baruch. And I remember I was like, damn, what the fuck am I going to do? Like, I'm not going to be home to register for classes. Mm. Should I just stay on the road or what? I kind of don't have a choice because I'm Ox DJ. Like, who else is going to be able to do this show with who, el- who else can Who else can play Ak Ha Ha the way I can? <laughs> Word. Well, it's the bomb, baby. Or, Word. Bomb. Love, or, the bomb. or do this five-minute performance in the middle right. of the set. Most importantly. So I remember I was like, ah, school's going to be there. You know, it's not that building's not going anywhere. I'm just going to take off a semester. And I remember we went on tour and came back early. So I missed out on on registering for classes. But you were also back. But I was also back. Like the tour, we didn't do the full tour. And that put the, the planted the seed in my head that, all right, I need to figure out a way to not just settle here and be someone's DJ. Like I need to cultivate my own platform because now there are aspects of my life, specifically school that are being affected by someone else's decisions. decisions, You know what I'm saying? Exactly. Yeah, You're just a working guy in his career. Right. You got to try to make your own Right, career, exactly, yeah. exactly. So that That's experience. how we all get on, though. It's yeah, well, on. Like, again, man, it's experience. I DJed for Little Kim. You did? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, how I was DJ'd, that experience for you? I DJed for Little Kim. I don't know if you ever know that. I did. Yeah. I, I sound familiar. Yeah. I've, um. <laughs> so, uh, Raiders still with show, How long did Raiders stay with Showbiz and AG? 96. Oh, Goodfellas album. 97, yep. Oh, and all the way through mm-hmm. then. Yep. And you stayed with Ock through all the success of Put In Your Mouth? Yep. And did, did and you guys do international shows? We did Germany. I heard, I, heard Isra- I heard it was the number one song in Israel. True story? I don't know, but that song catapulted his career. <laughs> I'll say. To, you don't say, really? Yeah, Yo, yeah. he was, the name Akinelli was literally the most, as underground a rap name as you could basically have. And then Put It In Your Mouth came out and that was maybe one of the most unlikely hits in the history of hip hop, considering yeah. who the artist was and yeah. the style of the song, yeah. Like, say, do you remember playing? I I got it on bootleg first. I really always had it on bootleg, and I remember like the song starts with just laughing. Mm-hmm. You're like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. <laughs> and you have to you have to go, you know, fuck Riz's counts. <laughs> There's nothing right. going yeah, on yeah, yeah. except clapping and laughing, and then piano, and then piano, and then and forty singing. some seconds yeah, yeah, in or whatever, yeah, you get yeah, the first. Yeah, yeah. it's not yeah. a good DJ yeah. intro. No, the the only way I really played "Put It in Your Mouth" was at the end of the night. It was always to me yeah. the party's still going, but I'm gonna start the beginning towards the end because the tempo is so slow. Yeah. yeah, that shit was a tunnel one a.m. banger. Bro. What? So you so how would you play it off the single? Was there there was a version on the single that just started with the doom doom or no? no. I don't think so. No. It was just the pianos, the singing, and then because it's not even a clean thing to scratch yeah. in. Oh yeah, you could scratch in the "Put It in Your Mouth" no, part. Right, the put, the, put, right, put, right, put, put, exactly. Right, right, right. Yeah. Right from right. there, you could do it. Word. It was yeah, just some crazy banger, times. But I knew that if I wanted to have, again, I had that foresight. Like, I understood that there was so much potential with this DJing shit. Whereas I think a lot of the people that I came up with at the time saw the pinnacle of what they can achieve to be winning a DJ battle. I saw beyond that. And so I was like, yo, I'm doing two years of battling and that's it. Then I want to tour. 
And when I had that experience of coming back home early and then missing a complete semester, you know, and sitting on my ass, like, you know, we'd still do one-off shows, but it's like I could have been going to school. Right. That's when I was like, all right, I need to figure out my own lane with this. And by 1996, to answer your question with regards to like, you know, who was DJing for who? Rock Raider was DJing for Showbiz and AG. Mr. Sinister was DJing for Common. Total Eclipse was DJing for Organized, Organized Confusion. And I was DJing for Ock. And I remember this is summer of 1996, the year that we battled the Invisible Scratch Pickles at Twilo. Mm. And I told Ock, I was like, yo, Ock, man, thank you for letting me DJ for you, but I got to eat off my own plate. And he got it. And what ended up happening was Dr. Butcher ended up filling in for me and touring with Ock. And I sat the guys down and I was like, yo, we need to like form our own lane with this because we cannot be bound to like another rapper's career. Like third gotta, installment of the Karate Kid DJ movie. <laughs> word. Straight up, yo. Like I was on that shit. I was on that shit by then. Like I was super like I had a vision for all the things that we could do as DJs. And I sat the guys down and told them, like, let's just leave our rap groups and do our own thing. Like, let's put out our own albums. And they got it. And so they left their rappers and we formed the Executioners and we released our first album called Expressions on an independent label from San Francisco called Asphodel. And was really dope about that was it's these four DJs making this hip-hop album. And I'm sure as DJs, you, Peter, you, Saif, can appreciate the freedom that we had in the studio, like not having rappers tell us when to do scratches. Mm -hmm. You know, like we were there calling the shots and it was a great experience. And we put this album out and it was this acclaimed underground hit. And what ended up happening was we toured the album. We made it to LA. Rick Rubin is in the crowd watching us kill records like Rock the Bells, which he produced. He runs backstage after we're done. He's like, I want to sign you guys to Deaf America. And we're there looking at each other like, this is Rick Rubin. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Backstage with us, inviting us to go to breakfast the next morning so he could talk to us about this deal. And we went to breakfast with him the next morning. L.A., we're these kids that like were fresh out of battling and we got rick rubin telling us he wants to sign us to deaf america and we were like hell yeah but what ended up happening was raider told sean c who at the time was the a and r for loud. loud records so sean was like fuck that i'm not gonna let rick sign these guys like and spoke to steve rifkin and talked loud into intercepting the deal. Mm. And yo, this is one of the craziest moments in my fucking career, bro. Welcome to One Up. Yo, check this shit out. So, 
our manager at the time, Peter Kang, what up, Peter, tells Rick Rubin, the guys are not going to sign with you. They decided to sign with Loud. Oof. Rick gets my number. I think he could tell that I wanted to go with Deaf America. Mm. On the principle, like the musicality, just the like musicality, it's Rick Rubin. The musicality, him teaching us the way Dr. Butcher taught me how to battle. How to make how, records. How to, I felt Rick Rubin was going to teach us how to make records. Oh, that's I probably mean, a fair... Fair idea. Right? I mean, yo, we were all the majority of the records that we would cut were Rick Rubin produced records. Yeah. Right? And not we, the executioners, we, the DJ community, like everybody was cutting some sort of Rick Rubin produced record, mm -hmm. whether it was It's Yours, Tila Rock, or Rock the Bells, LL Cool J, the list goes on and on. Suck Beastie MCs. Boys. Right, exactly. Peter Piper, all that. So. I basically got outvoted by the group because the guys felt being on loud and rubbing shoulders with groups like Wu Tang Jay, and Mob Big Deep. Pun and Mob yeah. Deep was where we needed to be. Like, yo, Rob, I mean, these are opportunities I for us both to arguments. yeah produce records with these guys and like get to know these guys and work with them. And I was like, Rick Rubin, yo, like he's gonna teach us how to make music. And um, they outvoted me three to one. Rick found out, called me. And he was like, yo, I'm coming to your house. And I'm like, yo, fuck out of here. Rick <laughs> Rubin's coming to my house. And he called me one night. And he was like, yo, uh, give me your address. I'm going to come to your house. Let's talk about this whole thing with Loud. Sure enough, came to my house. It's crazy. Called me from like downstairs. I'm peeking out the window. There's this fucking stretched out black limo <laughs> right dropping him off he comes up and rick rubin is fucking yo this far away from me on my futon sitting indian style oh of course fucking talking to me about why are you guys not signing with deaf america like i thought we had a deal like yo what's up rob like what do i got what do i gotta do to sign the group and I was like, yo, I don't know, man. Like, the guys just. That's the thing about being in the a group. Guys, the guys outvoted me. And he's like, fuck. He's, he was straight like, fuck. Rick Rubin. Yo, that's in it. He came to Queens. Came Jackson to Jackson Heights, Queens, and sat on you my at least, couch. Do you at least take him out for like a delicious Colombian meal? I mean. No, but you know what was dope? So at the time, I lived in a one bedroom apartment and. You know, DJs always have their setup in their bedroom, right? And so we went to my setup, and he was like, yo, man, like, could you show me the kind of shit that you was doing at that show at the Roxy in L.A.? Like, could you show me what you were doing? Like, there was this thing you were doing, Rob, with Rock the Bells, and, like, I'm taking this Def Jam record out of the cover, and I'm putting it yeah. on the turntable. As Rick Rubin said. And Rick Rubin is yeah. fucking right there, yeah. bro. That's like, I'm like... Yo, this is fucking crazy. So looking back, who was right? Well, this is the thing. We record Bill from Scratch, and Sean C. basically tells the group, because he was A&R in the project, that we should consider recording an album with this underground rock group called Linkin Park. And I knew nothing about Linkin Park at the time. They were just starting a bubble. And we were in a recording studio working on some songs. 
Sean C comes and sits down and he's all, yo, this is Mike Shinoda's number. Rob, call him. He's expecting you to call him. So we called him right there. Mike answers the phone. Yo, Rob Swift, what's up, man? I'm a big fan of the executioners. What up, Mike? I guess we're going to do this song together. Word, this is going to be fun. We record the song and just like put it in your mouth, catapulted Akinelli. It's going down. Took us to a completely different galaxy, bro. Like you or them, us, the executioners, because we were working on the second album, the follow-up to Expressions, built from scratch. And so, and this is the one that ended up on your album, or or no? Because there's a Shinoda feature on on built Built from from scratch. scratch. That is the so that conversation turned into the song "It's Going Down," which was featured on. Our second album, follow-up to the first independent release, on now that. on Loud, called Built From Scratch. And so to answer your question, guys, like which one was better, I mean, it's going down. There's no way to know. There's no way to know. And and I'm grateful for that experience of working on Built From Scratch and creating that song specifically, it's going down because guess what? Guess what? That shit landed us at the 2001 MTV Music Awards. Oh. And we're performing with Linkin Park in front of Michael Jackson, Britney Spears, who's who in music in 2001 is watching us do transform scratches and stabs and chirps with Linkin Park. Like, you just have to appreciate what happened, regardless of the fact that Would they Lincoln Park brought you out. Lincoln Park to do like, that song. Ladies or? and gentlemen, welcome the Executioners, and we're like running up on stage, getting on the turntables, killing it while Lincoln Park, like the band is playing. Like right. we were the bridge. They performed a song called "One Step Closer," so they introduced us to the world bro mm. so it was one of those it was lincoln park featuring the executioners yes wow and the thing is is one step closer wasn't an executioners lincoln park collaboration this was just a lincoln park song and they brought, right, they brought you out, you out right. on to do and a they live brought us out because they recorded yeah, it's they going down with yeah. us so they were like yo man we're gonna show you love and we're gonna introduce you to the world and that's exactly what they did and that shit took us to but like other what, galaxies, like bro. Where, what was the what what was the other galaxy? Like you you blow up in that level, mm-hmm. and then you go and do shows at you four, us four, no rappers, no rappers, and not a party, and not a party, it's a, sh- a stage show. It's a stadium. It's a stadium with 50,000 people. With and you y'all just doing routine. Watching us do dancers? No dancers, bro. No MCs. No MCs, bro. Who else just, no one on the mic? Just, no just one else on the bill? Eminem. <laughs> System of a Down. Ludacris. Papa Roach. All right, now you're showing off. So, like, so, so this <laughs> you know is, what I'm saying? So so people were booking the executioners for tours. For tours. Wait, wait, wait. Bro. So that's see, see that's because I didn't know what he was going to say either. I didn't remember this part of the story. 
now hearing it, it totally makes sense because of the era. You know, when you think of what that era was defined by between Linkin Park and Limp Biscuit, yeah. Lethal, right. Lethal had his shit going right. with Limp. Like DJs were, were on. Right. POD, right. DJs were on everywhere. It, exactly. I never even thought about that. And so, here, here's the thing, bro. Like, I, you're, like, I'm getting chills listening to you because what you're reminding me of is the fact that that era, the 2001, 2002, 2003 era of DJing is the reason why DJing right now in 2023 yeah. is a billion dollar industry. That's right. It's Facts. because of those yeah. th that three year window where every rock band had a DJ. You, in music videos, you saw the DJ getting yeah. busy. We had our own music video on MTV. For We're, Let It Bang or It's Going Down? For It's Going Down. And we did videos with Ghostface and Black Thought. But It's Going Down specifically introduced turntablism, battle DJing, to people in West Bubblefuck that didn't yeah. know it existed. Right. You know what I mean? They're making documentaries about us, uh, not just the executioners, but our movement. Scratch, Palm Pictures. Oh, I forgot about Scratch. Doug Prey, right. The, the magazine came out. Right. So that era is directly responsible. That era is the catalyst yeah. for why DJing is the billion-dollar industry that it By is By the way, today. this is what you just said, as the kids would say, is not cap. That is legit. It's legit. The reason, because... It, you guys managed to do something crazy, which is have a complete commercial explosion where the essence of the art was not it, lost. It wasn't compromised. You, because you were able to do it simultaneously with rock. It didn't compromise your hip-hop credibility at all. It's like, oh, it's like now, it would be like a bass player getting a gig in another band. But the thing about it is what people don't understand, Peter and Saif, is that in the first 10 years of this culture that we call hip-hop which wasn't called hip-hop it was just this thing that was taking place right specifically in the bronx oh my god is that really why people so often say one of my favorite terms this thing we call hip-hop yeah i this because is why i say it because you're right because it was just a yeah, thing at first it was a thing that was happening and then it became a thing that's called hip-hop right exactly <laughs> okay. and this is this is what i want to make sure that like everyone watching and listening understands there were no hip-hop, quote-unquote, records. You played and scratched on whatever spoke to you mm -hmm. in front of people that may not have known what an Aerosmith is or right. what Walk This Way is or, like or Bob B. James, yeah. Take Me to Mardi Gras. I just went from rock to jazz. But these were the songs that yeah, you would that, hear yeah. at park jams. So the idea of the executioners collaborating with a rock group made perfect sense because that is what the essence of quote-unquote yeah, hip-hop DJing is. It's, it's a, a mixture of different music being played for people yeah. and manipulated. And you took pride as a DJ in introducing new music. Yeah. So Finding we were doing breaks. our job. We were doing our job. We were introducing the Linkin Park fans to the world of DJing 
like for real DJing, not that bullshit that you see now on social media. And we whoa, were whoa, 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 straight up. What do you mean though? The the button pushing, like the legit button pushing. The 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 pre-recording what you're gonna show us on your 60 second IG post, and then hand syncing. You're seeing a lot scratches. of that. I see a lot of that. And but for the record, just so people know, you're not referring to the type of equipment you're using. You're talking wow. about the way you're using the equipment, bro. I DJ for ESPN. They have a show called College Game Day. I tour with them. Wait, you do the you do College I, Game Day I, to this day? I do the college football College Game Day from late August to mid December. Bro, I had you've been with ESPN this long. Yeah, man, yeah, it's a co-workers. blessing. Thank yeah, God. Yeah, we're, we're coworkers. We never see I each know. other. It's sort crazy. of a big company. I listen to you every day on the radio. <laughs> That's um, yo. Wait, so you're like roll, hanging out with Pat McAfee and Pat McAfee. Uh, Reese Davis, Reese Davis, Desmond it's like Howard. This is the big college game. Down Kirk down Curb Street. Th- this show, they Huge. do this show in front of the live crowd at different colleges every week. There's like thirty thousand people out right. there every week. So you're DJing for the crowd. DJing for Rob the crowd. Swift. Yo, Sife, if I was out at that and they were like, "That's Rob Swift over there," I'd be like, yeah, right. "What?" Yeah. And okay, so sorry, I, sorry. I've, keep going. No, it's okay. I've referenced that to say that when I tour with Game Day, I don't bring turntables. I have a controller. Which one? The rain one, the rain one, Is that the it, one that spins, it the with the platter that spins. I don't bring. What did you use before you had the rain one? Hmm? Before you had the rain one, which what did you use? Well, I, no, I Pioneer? started touring. Well, I I when I got tapped to do the game day tour, I knew I didn't want to travel with turntables. Well, no way, right? It's it's a hassle. So you yeah. went out and got the one right then. I had rain send me the rain one. I got used to it. And that's what I tour with. If you watched my YouTube videos of me DJing for everyone, I'm on the rain one. But the reason I bring that up is to say I don't have a problem with the gear you use. It's your misuse of the gear. And so when I say that bullshit DJing that exists now, I'm referencing those guys that fool us or I don't get fooled, but fool a lot of people and take advantage of the functionality of the gear to the point to where they're letting the gear do the DJing for them. So when we put out Built From Scratch and we're in a music video that's on heavy rotation on MTV with Linkin Park, we're introducing authentic DJing to an audience of people that like rock that now are fucking with DJing and hip hop. Yeah. And guess what? We're also introducing our fans, inner city kids from L.A., Miami, New York City, to this group, Linkin Park, that... Is now opening their horizons to Right, exactly. So that is the true essence of what a DJ does, is Mm -hmm. you introduce people to music from from a variety of genres. And you, you don't have that today. Now it's... Whatever's people go on the internet, look at whatever's the top twenty, top forty, and then they're playing that at their residencies, and that's fine. But I feel like the essence of what we've been talking about in this whole podcast has been lost in recent years because it's so easy to DJ. Yeah, barrier of entry. Yeah, a lot of it came from like you had to really want to do it because it cost you so much time, so much money, so much space in your house. Space like. My record collection still to this day is like, it's killing me. 
It's killing me. I got to talk to you about that, by the way. <laughs> no, I'm serious. What? I have something to talk to you about. Okay. All right. We'll do it on a podcast. On the... Um, others. Yeah, yeah, We want to do it on the... Hold on. Let me see one second. Hold on. You guys stay right there. Mm-hmm. Oh, damn. It hasn't sent yet. I sent a track a message. I said, anything I need to ask Rob Swift. Tell myself so. He said, how deep do you want to get in the nerding out, LOL? <laughs> and then he said, you should definitely ask him about his teaching slash school. I was trying to get to that. Bro. And then he said, okay, do you need this tonight? And I said, like, now-ish and sent a picture of you guys sitting here. Um, That's crazy. So tell us about your teaching and your school. Big ups to A-Track. I love that dude. Um, His DMC videos are my favorite because yeah. it looks like an actual child broke into the... <laughs> well, yo, real quick. Big ups to A-Track. Take your time. Big ups to A-Track because now, and I'm not trying to sound like that old guy, right? I'm really not. But with the gear and the accessibility that people have to DJing, it's common, especially on social media, to see a 10-year-old, 11-year-old, 12-year-old kid DJing and killing it, right? But A-Track, dude, he was like... I think 14 when he first competed Mm -hmm. in the DMC. We're talking like 1996, 1997-ish or something. And there was, he he broke ground. He he opened doors for all these little kids now that are like DJing. A-Track is your father. He was the first one to like, as a kid, break in and gain respect from adults. No, and and when he he did the show a, a couple years ago now, and and was getting in cars and traveling with adults hours away from his family right. to do this for real. We would take him to like Stretch and Bob's show. You know, he's this little kid, scrawny little kid. And like we're we're just there. It's like this, it's like we were babysitting this kid, but you know what? He would get on the turntables and obliterate it. Did he have a French accent then? Yeah. Still. <laughs> I mean that he still yeah. he still does, but yeah. not, it's like it's yeah. pretty faded. Yeah, he did. Nah, it's there. But it's you know there, what, yeah, man? Yeah. Again, like that's the beauty of like our DJ culture and like our era, man. Sife, like you know, it, it wasn't. Who cares? He's a little kid. He's nice and he's cool. Okay, and so, also, I have, I have one pet peeve I need to stress here because we're on the topic. Okay. For all the people who have their little kids DJing up on social media, mm-hmm. they're doing this thing that I think is for because there's a camera on. Have you noticed this? They'll do the things where the DJs have to like fake dance all the time. Mm -hmm. For the most part, I can't speak for every DJ. DJs are usually concentrating and not bobbing like this while they're DJing. It's true. So you're doing that to teach it to them for for IG. It's illegitimate. That's not a real. It's true. You can't do that. It's true. You know what's crazy though? My son is four. Oh, time to get him up there. He could be on Instagram. I'm about, about to be five, and he goes to me the other day. He goes like this. like He makes a scratching thing, and he puts his hand to his ear. And I'm like, <laughs> you don't have to. No, but I'm like, you don't have to put your hand yeah, to your yeah, ear. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. I don't know right, where. Right. Who, I don't does, know, who does? <laughs> I don't know where you saw right, that. Oh, that's yeah. Instagram. Yeah, it has to be Instagram. Exactly. My son's not on Instagram. Your son's on the gram. TikTok. Secret account. He's, He's on, on TikTok. TikTok. No, oh, I don't let shit. my All right, hold on. I care about my children. All right, hold on, hold on. Yeah, the only person who has a serious TikTok problem is their dad. All right, here we go. A-Track. Yo, what up, Rob? This is A-Track, Big Brother Rob. Um, yo, Peter asked me to send you a question for the interview. Um, so, of course, I got I to gotta nerd out, and I got to take it to the battle routines. And, you know, I want to ask you about something that I think you really contributed a lot to the evolution 
of battle routines. When I think about your style, I think there's a compositional element that you brought that wasn't there before, you know, whereby before you, I feel like a lot of battle routines were just like one trick, you know, you pull out fucking Peter Piper or Rock the Bells or whatever, do a trick on it, then grab another record, do a trick on it. When you came along, there was like song structure to your routines. And even when I think about the blow your head routine, you know, creating music with the turntables and also even a confidence in sometimes going slower, mm. like a slow but controlled composition and musicality. That was so different when you brought that. And I'm just curious, where did you get that from? You know, are there any DJs that influenced you? Or is, is it even other musicians that influenced you to bring that style of, of composition? That nobody beats the biz shit that had so many sections to it. Where did you get that composition from? Thanks, Yo, what A-Track. Up, A-Track. What up? Thanks. He's not there. What was that? He sent a voice note. <laughs> Yo, okay, are you guys, are you, are y'all good? No, I gotta right. go. I gotta leave to do a comedy show. But real quick, what's the fucking the mixtape thing you put out? Soulful, Soulful fruit. fruit. Yeah, yeah. To this day, bro. Classic. I've never Fat listened. To, I've never to listened to Soulful day, Fruit, bro. I'll, I'll send you a copy. To this day, yeah. That shit, DJ is Jazz, the most masterful piece of art. Like, what? What would you call that? Thanks to Dr. Butcher, who sat me down and helped me understand that I needed to think beyond what the DJs that I looked up to were doing if I wanted to make a splash in the scene. Thanks to him, when I would practice, his voice was just in my head. And I would come up with a piece or a section of a routine. And so does I, this almost answer the A-track question yes. as well? It's a thing where... I would come up with a piece to a routine, in this case, Nobody Beats the Biz, whereas the average DJ would be like, all right, I'm good. Now let me move on to the next record. Butcher's voice would be in my head, and I'd be like, well, what else can I do? And I would just extract like, a, like squeezing water out of a sponge as much as I could out of that song. And that spilled over to mixtapes as well. Like just always pushing myself to do more and not settle for the bare minimum. And I think that just became this approach that I had to being creative, whether it was creating a routine like Nobody Beats the Biz or a mixtape or an album. A lot of the solo albums that I put out helped land me opportunities to collaborate with the likes of Herbie Hancock and Bob James because I was just so open-minded. So for me, when I'm being creative, the last thing I want to do is the bare minimum. Mm, it's yeah. about like going deeper a and step then, further. Yeah. And seeing like, what yeah, else like can a, I do? You know, that's like in comedy, we'll see a guy tell a joke and we'll be like, nah, there's more meat on that bone. Right, right. He didn't, you could keep going. Exactly. Keep going with right. that. Rob, this has been an utter treat. We got to do Gotta do it. A part two? We gotta do part two. Yeah, I'll come back. But you man. live guess what? Guess where he is? Jackson Heights. Jackson Heights, Queens. Yes. So you come is it, it's not hard. So no, you take the seven drive. train right oh, oh or the seven train right here. Oh, the seven train is like right here? Downstairs that's where the new train is here. Oh, that's 
That's right. It's, it's the only convenient thing about traveling to this area. Um, <laughs> Too bad I don't take the train. Yeah, there you go. I respect. No, that's a real New Yorker. People don't that's know. Right. That's a real New Yorker. Uh, Rob, Yo. we couldn't thank you enough. Though, Yo, man. it's nah, a pleasure man. being here with you, Sife. Man, it's been a minute. He's trying to give you dab. Oh my god! Well, and but real quick, it's your school and, and teaching. Yo, Brolic Army DJ School. It's a platform that I created to introduce authentic DJing to people that are interested in learning. There are a lot of platforms that teach DJing, but the people that teach DJing on these platforms are actual students of the art and. You, you know, not to toot my own horn. You don't have to. It's, but you're like saying I, you get to learn from Rob Swift. You got to learn from Pete, whether it's Rob Swift or just someone that understands what DJing is the way Butcher helped me understand. Mm. You know what I mean? Because if you don't go through the right channels to understand and learn how to DJ, then you're just going to sound like everyone else and you're not going to stand out that way. Mm. So Brolic Army DJ School, y'all, check me out. Big ups to A-Track. Big ups to you, Peter, Sife. Thank you, bro. Thank you so much. Rob, motherfucking Swift of the Executioner. Thank you, bro. Q-U. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.